0: Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your went. You can scream and you can holler. Really Hi, folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of a changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, dictated as almost always during our 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Uh, This is episode 189, so we are getting very close to our 200th episode, which is going to be kind of a milestone for us. And uh, that's going to be really cool, and I'll try to come up with a cool show for when we get there. Today I said we would either be talking about peak oil, or a coming food shortage. Uh, now, yesterday was a Monday, which is always a bad day for me, uh, but when I got to the office, I ended up having to run to an off-site meeting, so I didn't get to do a lot of research throughout the day yet, so usually that's how I do it. i do a minute of research here, two minutes there, and just kind of weed it in through my day and started collecting up some statistics and things like that. That... Uh, that made me decide that we we'll won't be doing uh, food shortage today. We'll be doing peak oil. Because peak oil, I'm not going to be throwing too many facts and figures at you. I don't need to do a lot of research about it. What I'm going to tell you about peak oil, and then the environmentalism wrapped around it, is going to be largely my opinion and my view. So as always, this show is one man's opinion. You are welcome to differ with it. I'm just going to ask you to think before you knee-jerk action, uh, You know, respond with, oh, it must be true because they said so, whoever they might be, whoever they is that you will cite. Look at the inconsistencies that I'm going to point out to you today. And I am going to give you some facts today, some cold, hard facts, some that I want you to really stop think about and go, hmm, and then the other thing I'm going to do, which neither side in these debates tends to do, is boil it down to let's look at what it actually means to us, regardless of who's right, because that's what's more important than anything else to me, what is this going to mean to us? Because whether you and I agree or disagree about peak oil really ain't going to change the global policy on how oil is used and taxed, it just isn't going to happen there's not enough of us for that to matter. So we can stop worrying about what people are gonna do and we need to start worrying about, well, with the real facts known and what the real thing is that people are gonna do known, because the agenda is known, what is it gonna mean to us? That's what I'm trying to help you sort out today. Before we do that though, I want to do a little bit of house cleaning, and I want to do a little bit of flu follow-up because I get some new information for you about the flu. Okay, number one, house cleaning. If you think you get more than twenty-five cents in value from listening to every episode of the survival podcast, consider joining the members support brigade and get exclusive content only available to members region five big bug out camp out get together eat some barbecue have some fun shoot some guns down near gulf texas over memorial day weekend details in the show notes today wilderness ways dirt time 09 myself and 13 other survival experts will be out there teaching workshops on everything from survival gardening and permaculture to things like making bows not and the latest stuff that's available in ultralight backpacking and survival gear. Um, there is an audio preview of Lights Out available uh, on the website. There'll be a link to that as well. And uh, make sure you check out and try to do business with our sponsors. Uh, we have two sponsors that I'm going to mention briefly today. One is Tactical Response, uh, and the other one is Ready Made Resources. You can find banners for both of them on the SurvivalPodcast.com in our right-hand margin. Check those. Guys, out give them some business, they're supporting our show uh, in a way that's really making it more and more possible for me to spend more and more time doing it. So, if you enjoy the show, support the sponsors. Okay, so let's let's rock on with today's topic. And uh, that knocked out the intro, the house cleaning, and everything in four minutes, so that's meeting my goal. Anyway, let's go with a little bit of update on the flu. Uh, the flu is now. No longer called the swine flu, because we're worried about the branding effect on meat. See, because of the swine flu, Russia said we're not going to import any meat from Mexico or the United States, especially pork, because it's from the pork. That you don't get swine flu for meat. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't spread that way. And Russia's not stupid. Russia knows this. It's an anti-USPR move by Russia to, to damage us economically. They are not our friends, in spite of what you've been led to believe. When they do something like that, that is a very clear indication they're not officially our friends. I don't think that comes to a shock to most people, but to some, they're like, wait a minute, the Russians, we're good friends with the Russians now. Okay, great, whatever. There you go, this is why. So in an effort, in an effort to, uh, to reduce the, the, the brand damage of, of the pig, right, we're now going to call it the North American flu. So instead of damaging the brand of the pig uh, in, a, in a way in which we you know anybody that really wants to know the truth would take like two seconds to figure this out that pigs may be the source of, of swine flu but they're not. Via their meat, and that you can eat all the spare ribs and bacon you want, you're not going to get swine flu. Uh, No, we will damage the entire brand of the North American continent. Now, it looks like this thing came from Mexico, but God knows we can't call it the Mexican flu. Now, there's a lot of America haters out there, including one serving in our government, if I can use the word serving without puking, that I'm sure would have liked to have called it the American Flu. But they couldn't do that, not because people like you and me would be angry, because the poor Central and South Americans would get lumped into that, and that just wasn't fair. So we'll call it the North American Flu, even though it came from Mexico... Because, you know, we've had cases in Mexico, the United States, and Canada. So let's just go ahead and damage Canada with it, too, by changing the name of it. So I, I just thought you guys would find that interesting. The next thing is, I actually was able to talk to a doctor uh, yesterday that works for Parkland Hospital here. And what he told me is, so far, the few people they've seen with swine flu, and I'm going to keep calling it a frickin' swine flu, because I'm not going to damage Canada's brand. They didn't do anything to deserve that. Um, <laughs> anyway, what he's told me is... Everybody they've seen with this thing so far in the hospital has... And there's like two or three, so there's not many. So this is a small statistical piece, very small. But so far, the swine flu has been more mild than the normal flu that everybody gets. So again, we're I want to caution you. Don't overreact to this stuff. Because every indication that we have right now is that this is a less mild form of the flu. And the other thing he told me I mean, is what most Americans don't really realize is lots of people die of the flu every year. They generally die of complications of pneumonia. It's generally the very young, the very old, and the immune compromised. And they don't really know who died in Mexico yet, but his his instinct is it was probably the old, the young, and the immune compromised. So let's again, let's understand that this might be a flu, but it may be no different than the flu that we get every year. On the other hand, keep some vigilance up because we don't know that and like i said there is a history of new strains of the flu popping up or, you know late in the year going into a decline through the summer months and coming back much more damaging than they were when they first popped up when flu season comes back around. So that's the other side of the hammer or the shoe-dropping here. Now, there's another thing that I need to talk about with you on the flu before I go into peak oil today. It's something really important, and I really want to make sure that people understand this, because the black helicopters are not coming to freaking get you, hold you down, and give you a flu vaccine against your will. That's just not going to happen. And I want to explain to you what happened in 1976, why it happened the way that it did. Now, it has absolutely nothing to do with freaking Tamiflu, like uh, our, our you know, president of the Alex Jones fan club, apparently, that started commenting on my blog. And please don't stop commenting. You're welcome to comment. I'm just going to respond to your comments. What he said is, you know, look back to 1976, see what happened there, and Tamiflu is evil. Don't take Tamiflu. You know, eat elderberries or some crap like that or whatever. All right. Here's the thing. One, I'm a big believer in natural cures. I'm a big believer in natural prevention. I'm going to look into some things that have actually shown to help improve flu resistance in some studies, and I'll let you know about them. And uh, I may not find any. I may find a bunch. I'm not sure. Please don't send me a bunch because everybody has their little pet like that. I'll do my own research on this. I don't need any help on it whatsoever at all. Thank you. All right. But what happened in 76? In 1976, we had exactly what happened this time come around. A a mild case of swine flu. One person in the United States died, but the government was legitimately afraid of what happened in 1918 with the Spanish flu, which also should be called the North American flu, by the way, um, because it came from North America. In fact, it came from Georgia. But anyway, I digress there. But they were worried, legitimately worried. President Ford was terrified that it would destroy his legacy, and he also wanted to get reelected because, of course, he inherited the White House. So when the swine flu first popped up, they decided that they needed to head it off. And eventually, both the Democrats and the Republicans decided it was the most important thing going on that year, especially with an election coming up. Couldn't have Americans dying left and right from the flu while the election was going on. And then everybody would turn to the government and go, look, you didn't do anything. So they decided they were going to vaccinate all 200 and some odd million Americans at the time, 230, 240 million Americans. And you could get flu shots anywhere. Now, the problem was that they rushed the flu serum. It wasn't a conspiracy. It wasn't black ops. It was that they started trying to make the serum in February, and they had it ready for deployment by August because the drug companies were forced to speed it up. you got to get it done. We need it now they are all going to die without it. Do it, do it, do it. And the drug company said, hey, 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 you know what? We're, we're telling you not to do this. We're telling you we need more time. We're telling you there could be side effects that we don't know about. This is a new vaccine. It's not like mixing up your Manhattans that you guys slam every night. You really need to give us more time. And they said, we need it now. You are under contract. You will make the vaccine. The drug company said, fine, you take the liability, government. We're not taking it because we're telling you not to do it this way. We're telling you not to do it this fast. And they rushed the vaccine. The flu became a non-event. It didn't come back stronger than ever. It went away and nothing happened at all. But Lots of Americans had massive side effects. Quite a few died of side effects to the vaccine. At the time that that had occurred, about 40 million people had received the vaccine. People were lining up. You could go to the firehouse. You could go anywhere just about and get a shot. And it took about 40 million people and several thousand severe, severe side effect cases before finally everybody pulled back and said, yeah, we're not going to do this. That wasn't a conspiracy. That was incompetence. That's what happens when politics overrides medicine. That is why we should not be letting our government control our health care system. That's what that was. There was no, look at the black helicopter. helicopters, they come? 1976, they already here. It wasn't that. You guys, and here's the thing, most people that think that that's the case don't freaking remember 1976. I don't, but I've looked up the facts about what happened, who did it, and who said what, and who did what. Right? That was a vaccine Please understand that Tamiflu is not a vaccine. It is a drug that lessens the severity, duration, and symptoms of the flu. Compared to other medications, it's as low or the same inside. in side effects. I'm not saying there's none there, there's no risk, but there is some. And it's a viable treatment alternative for strains of flu where it's been proven to work. It's been proven to work here. I would not run away from Tamiflu screaming they're out to get me, strapping down my foil hat if I were you. you do it if you want to. But when somebody makes comments like this in my blog, I am under an obligation to answer them because I want to make sure that you understand that that guy doesn't speak for me, that I wouldn't hesitate to take Tamiflu if it was proven to be effective against a strain of flu. that was also a strain of flu proven to be highly deadly with a high mortality rate. All right? I have no plans to run out and stockpile Tamiflu right now. But there may come a day when it might be what you want to do. That's all I'm saying. So let's go from there. And I know that ate up almost half the episode, right? Uh, But I needed to talk to you guys about that. I need to keep you informed about this flu thing. And we need to stay on top of this as it progresses. And I want to be able, when this thing is done and over with, if it turns into a non-event, for us all to be able to look back at it and still have learned something. So that's why I keep bringing it up. So let's look at peak oil. Now, let's start out with what... Peak oil is. What is the theory of peak oil? It's important that we understand this because if we don't, then we, you know, we'll, we'll get wrapped up in hysteria or wrapped up in complete disbelief very, very quickly. Peak oil is not when all the oil goes away. Peak oil is not when we get to a point where there is no oil left and all the oh, down goes the electrical grid, no more cars, no more electricity. First of all, we get very little of our electricity from oil today. Uh, it's somewhere in the in the single digit percent piles that's that's made by burning fuel oil, which actually comes from oil that we pump out of the ground. Most of our electricity in the United States today comes from nuclear, coal, natural gas, and yes, greenies, wind, energy. There's actually more of it than people realize, And I'm all for wind energy, and I'd like more wind energy. And if we're going to spend a trillion dollars that we're spending now on this porculous program, I would have been happy to build a trillion dollars worth of windmills. So don't write me about how I'm a peaker, right, because I'm a peaker. And I'm wasting the planet's resources. I'm raping the planet. I don't want to hear that crap. That's nothing to do with what I'm talking about here. But peak oil is a point at which the demand for oil exceeds the capacity of production per Permanently. say that again peak oil is the point at which the global demand for oil exceeds the production capacity permanently it's not a blip in the radar where there's a you know a short-term reduction in production or exploration we have a little blip and a peak in price or something like that it's when it's kind of end game for expansion via of oil based energy. All All that means is that we get to a point where the demand is for, let's just call it 50, to make it these huge billion-dollar numbers mess people up, right? You don't think right anymore. It's hard to understand, hard to get your head around. Let's say the oil demand can be represented by a number of 50, all right? Let's say that the oil demand goes... And the oil capacity of production, complete running as fast as it can, everything that's available, everything can be found, everything that's going to be found, is also 50. It's balanced. This is where all the oil producers would like to be. They, if they could get there, it's, but they, they can't, because if they get there, peak's only you know one percent away from happening. But if they were there, oil would be at its maximum potential price long term. So I had to take a call there, folks, so if I don't come back in exactly where I was, it was kind of a uh, detail-oriented call. I'll apologize in advance. But as soon as we get to a point where... It's I it's, okay, 50-50 ratio, right? We have 50 capacity, 50 demand. That would put the price at the highest sustainable price for oil that they could find, because they have an exact matching of capacity and demand. That's not how it works. What they do is they have to exceed demand with reserve capacity to make sure that they don't go to the other side of that swing, because then it's lost revenue opportunity. Because even though the oil goes way up, they're selling less volume, and the Profit goes down. This is a balancing act that all the oil-producing nations of the world try to juggle. And a lot of the conspiracy talk around the oil cartels and all, and there is a cartel, and they are thugs. But but what they're really thuggery is about is trying to stay as close to that balance point as they can to keep oil from dropping out of the bottom of the market, like happened to it during this global downturn. And d- d- oil went down. You know, it was at 144 dollars a barrel, and a few months later, it's at 30 three dollars a barrel that's what happens as soon as they get that capacity demand curve out of whack even by a little bit so what happened with this downturn is everybody cut back overnight everybody cut back on the use of oil and i mean everybody around the globe here in america people went out and bought smaller cars people started ride sharing people did whatever they had to do because oil got so expensive now on top of that Okay? Then we had a global downturn, people lost people without jobs don't get in the car and drive to work every day, folks. People without jobs have, you know, higher electric bills, so their overall energy consumption goes down because they do things like run around turning off every appliance in the house. That doesn't directly affect oil, but it affects energy and the energy commodity as a whole is also very fluid in pricing and all interrelated. In other words, when oil goes up, generally speaking natural gas prices go up. Okay? Very, very simple economics here. Now, peak oil is when we are at a demand of 50, and the production capacity permanently drops to 49. At the highest, they can never get it above 49 again. Capacity stays at 50. or I mean, demand stays at 50 and either continues to go up or stays level. We now have... A discrepancy between supply and demand. There's more demand than there is supply. Oil prices shoot through the roof. That's what happens. Then, over time, because we're still eating away at the oil, right? We, the consumption didn't drop at all. Demand went up to 51. Consumption stays at 50. Actually, consumption stays at 49, because now we've lost the ability to produce down to 49. We can't possibly consume more than we produce. So the world starts consuming 49 of oil. You know, Again, we're not talking billions here. I want to keep this in your head. Simple. Now, as it still continues to suck and suck and suck and suck, if we're actually in a deficit, we can't find any more oil. We're only pumping what we can. You know, we've already found, and we're really running out. Eventually, production capacity goes from 49 to 48. Global demand goes up even more. More and more people want it because it's perceived shortage. Price is up, 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 up. But consumption again stays at 48. We can't consume more than we produce, and you get a slow downward spiral of consumption. And eventually, there's no oil left. That's peak oil. That's how it's supposed to work. Now, the point you reach peak and the point you get down to where there's no cars on the road anymore because it's too expensive or you just can't get any oil, there's a long time between those two points. And the people that do credible work about peak oil, and there's a great, book out there called The End of Oil. Really recommend you read it. I read it. I read it cover to cover. And what the gentleman I can't remember his name right now, but what he basically says in the book is I'm really not talking about the end of oil. I'm talking about the end of easy oil. There's actually lots of oil for many, many years left. Now, the conspiracy theorist, or the environmental wacko, or the hybrid between the two, says, we're already at peak, and they just don't want to tell us. And we are in real trouble, and within 15 years, we will be no oil left. Okay? You may think that your math and my math adds up here, but it won't. I'm about to tell you one of these facts. I'm going to get off opinion for a minute. 1985 the year before my family moved back to Pennsylvania, where I spent my entire time in high school back in Pennsylvania. We lived in a place called Jacksonville, Florida. I went to a relatively new school uh, in a nice area, and we had brand new textbooks. You know, ones where they make you put a cover on them made out of a paper bag and all, and you better sign this, and it's going to cost you lots of money if there's one pencil mark, because these are brand new books, so they shouldn't even look like you used them, but you better use them. Remember that type of thing when you got new books in school? So, brand new book in science class. And, you know, if you think environmental Environmentalism in our schools is new. You're out of your mind. There was plenty of environmentalism in 1985. They were telling us how people were killing the planet in 1985 in school and in our textbooks. And I remember one page of a textbook. And for some reason, these numbers imprinted themselves in my mind that I've never forgotten them, even though it was 8th grade. I opened it up to a chart. How much do we have left it was right across the top of the page. And then it said oil, 35 years. Coal. 120 years. Nobody was even talking about natural gas at that time. So 35 years left of oil. Now let's see. In 1985, they were telling me in a textbook, we had 35 years of oil left. Not to peak oil. Nobody was even using the term peak in the general public. The theory was there. Don't Well, so-and-so, right? I know, I know, back in the 60s, I, I know. I'm telling you, in the general public, if you said peak oil in 1985, people went, huh? What? Arab embargo? Is that what you're talking about from a few years? No, 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 peak oil. They would have not known. What, they, what this book was saying is this will be the last drop, drip, no more oil world is out of oil in 35 years. 1985, 35 years later, would be 2020. No oil left. Again, this is not the peak occurrence. Absolutely out of oil by 2020. That's accepting the fact that this book was probably written three or four years before it was actually accepted by the education system and put in place. Why is this important? This wasn't the Internet. This wasn't some la-la off on the Huffington Post or some la-la off on Al Jazeera. This was a text book being taught as recognized fact to our school children in 1985 by 2020 no more oil at all and I remember sitting to myself and going that would be 2020 and I'm going to be about 40 something 50 something years old I'm going to see the end of oil oh no this is going to be terrible but I'm not really going to worry about it because I'm just a kid and we don't really worry about stuff like that but then I thought to myself you know what this is going to be cool because I'm going to find out whether these people are telling me the truth or not because I'm going to be here on 2020 And uh, I'm going to look around, and if there's any oil left, I know they're full of crap. And I came to that conclusion in eighth grade that something didn't sound right about this. Now, what else was going on that's all wrapped up with this peak oil debate in 1985? Well, in 1985, we were very concerned about a gross... Dangerous uh, environmental threat probably the biggest environmental threat that mankind had ever faced it was a global problem it wasn't just about America and us using it. it was about the entire globe we all needed to get together and solve this problem because it was going to destroy the planet because of man's evilness it was climate change and we were terrified that climate change was going to kill us all in 1985 do you know what the difference was? what we were concerned about was global cooling See, all the smog was reflecting the sun. And since we were reflecting the sun, it was causing the planet to cool. And the science was in. The science was in. you check into this. All right, I said there's parts of this that is my opinion. This is not my opinion. This is what was going on in 1985. And some of you folks who listen to this show, I know you're younger people. You don't remember this. You have a, sh- a shorter-term memory than me because you've been here less time than me. Go look this stuff up and then look at global warming and all the crap around it and look at the two and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, we've seen this before. Global cooling was going to kill us all. We were all going to die. They had climatologists on the weather uh, channels, all the, not the weather channels on the news. There was no weather channel yet in 1985. But they had to come on the nightly news and this is, you know, Pierre, blah, 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 blah. And he's going to tell us about global cooling and how it's going to affect us in the future. And they would show these climate models. And their models had today the ice caps extending down into North America by now. Or down into, uh, down into the, the, the northern United States. Canada is supposed to be under ice according to these models. Where the science was in and it was proven. And we needed to do something right away to switch to alternative energy because we only had 35 years of oil left. And we were causing global cooling by burning it anyway. This is why people that are generally well-read, well-educated, and are at least 35 years of age or older tend to look at global warming. And then you the young people look at us and go, "Oh, they're all deniers. They're like Holocaust deniers. They're trying to kill the planet, and they don't believe this. And they should because you know, look at Al Gore said so." And, and we just look at it and go, wait a minute, this looks so freaking similar, except that we were going to freeze to death and now we're all going to die of heat, that, that something's inconsistent here. We also look at even the people today that have done the credible research on peak oil, and the most pessimistic among them will tell you, oh yeah, we got enough oil until 2020. We're not going to, oh, no, oh, we're not going to, we might be impeached by that. Oh, oh yeah, guy. I mean, we could be in a real, real, you know, real hell's basket by 2020. We could be in major decline, but out of oil, no, we're not going to, because they realize 2020 is still close enough to destroy their careers if they go out and say we're going to be out of oil by 2020. 2020 is not that far away anymore. What are we talking now, 11 years? 11 years, and your career is in the toilet, because it's not going to be in the toilet in 11 years. It'll be in the toilet in seven. When everybody looks at it and goes, this guy's nuts. He said, we're going to be out. Look at all the oil. We're pumping. We just found some new oil. We got all this oil in the middle of the United States. We won't even pump it yet. We start to run out. We'll pump it. So everybody looks at this and goes, what's the truth? Here's the, I'm going back to my opinion here. All right, Here's how I feel about this. There is plenty of oil out there yet, but what our danger is, is not the dwindling resource, it's the expansion of capacity. We have two nations, each with a billion people, and one place where the environmental people have it absolutely right, is when they point out that the United States has 300 million people. We are a small portion of the entire global population, yet we're using 24 to 25% of the world's oil. Now, Does that mean that we're all evil and we should all be executed and we should all have giant carbon taxes shoved up our ass and everything else? No. It does mean that we need to really look for a way to get off of this dependence on foreign oil. Because economically and defensively and strategically it makes sense. But instead of making that case to the American people... They make the case that, oh, the oil's going to run out, we're all going to die. Or if we keep burning the oil, we're all going to die. So either way, the oil's the problem, not the dependence on the rest of the world. Not the parasitic nature that we have on the rest of the world. No, no, no. That's because if you made that case to the American people, even with the microwave mentality that they have, most people still have enough sentient brain cell activity to go, really, we shouldn't be, you know taking all the world's resources and we shouldn't be dependent on all the other governments really well what about food you know what what about technology what we, we would start asking questions about all these other things Well, what about these global treaties that you want to get us involved in wait a minute wait if this is about decreasing dependence then what's with this Kyoto shit you know wait a minute this doesn't so there's such an inconsistency there That we can't bring out the message, oh my God, we can't bring that out, that would ruin everything. So we have to stick to this nonsense. Now, here's what I see happening in the next 10 years. The demand for oil in India and China will both at minimum double. They are not going to slow their economy down just because the global economy has slowed down. The two nations are hell-bent on increasing uh, the the, the lifestyles of their societies. There are more and more cars, trucks, everything going into both nations and being built and kept in both nations now than ever before in history. And a billion people can put a big demand on anything, even only a small portion of them are actually using it at a high level. So, what we're reaching in the oil industry, in reality, is a point at which, even if we find more, safely getting it out of the ground, and refining it, and making it from oil into gas, which is what this is really about, running vehicles, that's, that's where all the oil goes to today. Heating homes, yeah, to a little. there's some still people using heating oil and all, but mostly, the oil demand is around gasoline. And if you look up, I can't remember the number now, but just how much Americans use of gasoline to mow our lawns every year, it's a staggering number of gallons of gasoline. So this is really about gasoline. So what's going to happen as this this demand continues to rise, capacity, even if there's more oil in the ground, is going to get to a point where we can't refine it, we can't extract it, and because of our dependence on all these other world nations, we're not going to be able to get it Out fast enough to meet the demand. So we're going to hit a peak that has very little to do with how much oil's in the ground, and a hell of a lot to do with what Exxon's actual refining capacity is. And then the enemy will become the friend, and we'll go, come on, Exxon, come on, come on, make us some more! Because the Chinese and the Indians and the rest of the world are only going to let us continue to use up 25% of this resource for so long before they go, wait a minute, no more! No more. The Chinese are investing heavily, heavily into Africa right now. There's vast undiscovered reserves of oil in Africa, but that's going to become a serious bone of contention. We have the potential to end up in war with China over oil in Africa. The hell with the Middle East. We've got that one kind of sewn up, don't we? And this is the real danger. That's what we should be talking about. We should be talking today. How do we change this for the better for America. Because if we do it here, it's been shown that the first thing other nations do is rip off our ideas and steal them. So let's give them something good to rip off for once. And you may be taking away from this that I don't believe in the oil running out theory. I don't even believe in the oil running out causing peak oil. I believe in demand crippling the capacity side of things. So Why don't I believe in it? Because I don't think that the environmental freakos that are out there telling you that you kill the planet or call me a peaker because I drive 100 miles a day, even though I only use two gallons of fuel, those of you who call me a peaker, I use 10 gallons of fuel a week in my car. All right? How much do you use? Anyway, the the reason I don't believe it is I don't think they believe it. If you were an environmental whack job tree hugger right now, and you believed that the oil was going to run out by 2020, then you don't have to worry about anything anymore. You don't have to worry about whether or not I use a compact fluorescent light bulb or not. You don't have to worry about my MPG rating in my car. You don't have to worry about anything. All you have to do is wait. By 2020, there will be no more oil. All the pollution will go away and the climate will go back to normal, whatever the hell you think that is. The reason that I say they don't believe that is because if they did, they wouldn't be running around freaking out about everything else. It's like, oh, people, we'll use that, like, as a distraction to make these people buy into us. Because I think the environmental whack job crowd wants environmentalism at the expense of everything else. They'll give up any freedom. They'll allow any crippling thing on any economy of any nation anywhere in the world. They'll allow any injustice... They don't care as long as we have a greener world. That's all that matters at the expense of everything else. And I think all of these things, how does this all tie to peak oil? I think all of it's getting tied into each other. It's all, you know, and it's not a conspiracy. It's everybody having their own agenda, and a lot of these groups having a lot of money and power, and everybody pushing their agenda from different directions, and it causes all this confusion, and then politics makes strange bedfellows. So the peak oil freaks and the environmental freaks team up because they really are after the same thing, less oil being produced. That's what they really want. Or, if you're part of the government that sees these two groups and says, we shall use you as the tools that you are. Do you want to put in something like cap-and-trade? Now, what's cap-and-trade? Cap-and-trade is the expense of every energy source you use going up. That's what cap-and-trade is. Now, I could make a case for cap-and-trade. I could make a case against cap-and-trade. But when it comes down to it for you, the individual, that's what cap-and-trade is. The cost of flipping a light switch or pumping gas in your car going up across the board You know, 24-7, 365 in this country. That's what it really is. It has nothing to do with peak oil. It has nothing to do with environmentalism. It has to do with more money for our government through the form of taxation. That's what it's really about. It has to do with forcing alternative energy sources into a market that is not yet completely ready for them. It's why GE is backing it like crazy. GE put all the chips on wind energy and solar energy and alternative energy sources. So they're throwing all of their might and their propaganda agency... All right? Which is their news media outlet. They're throwing everything at we need to be green. And and if you want to have a conspiracy theory, even the freaking people that make the Series 24 were talking about your carbon footprint last week. What the hell is wrong with people? Let me explain something to you. Again, this is my opinion. But I'll tell you, I believe this. Your carbon footprint has absolutely nothing to do with anything. What you need to be worried worried about is that the cost of your energy is going to go up Period, And the availability over time is going to go down. It's going to cost more money to get energy, and it's going to be less available to you. And that's why you need to be looking at, what can I do over the next 10 years to move myself toward my own personal energy independence? It has absolutely nothing to do with saving the world. But if you're trying to save the world, don't argue with me, because I'm making a better case for why people should put solar panels on their roof... And do all these other things than you are. I mean, do you not understand that? As I just dodged a rock out of the back of one of these trucks, these idiot rock haulers that don't freaking put tarps on their trucks. They should be arrested. Anyway, I'm making a better case for alternative energy in individual hands than the environmental whack job. Plain and simple. less dependence. Now, why isn't the government making that case to you? Because the government doesn't want you to have solar panels on your roof. The government doesn't want you to have that little wind turbine. All the crap, all these little pet programs, these little grants, and all this shit that they do to make it look like we're trying to help the American person become more energy independent for themselves by producing more electricity, yada yada, bullshit bullshit. No, they're not. They don't want you to be able to produce all your own electricity, not in any large numbers. If one guy here does it and one guy there does it, they want to make it look like he's a superhero, and there's no possible way you could do it, because then you'll think, oh, I feel guilty, I'm killing the polar bears. I'm killing the sea lions and the seals and the polar bears. Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm such an evil human being. Oh, yes, I'll pay an extra energy tax. uh, Yeah. Okay, I'll pay more for my power because it comes from a windmill. Uh, uh, Yeah, I'll do all that stuff because I just can't be like that guy over there with the solar panels. That's going to cost him $25,000 to put those panels on his roof. And that's how much they're going to cost forever because, you know, it's so hard to build a solar panel and nobody else can make them. And that's the game. The game is how can we get people to believe that the energy is running out and the energy is killing the planet? So that we can tax the energy and make money from the energy. So that we can push all of these things into the marketplace and not let supply and demand drive their prices down, but let a perceived premium keep their prices up. This is all about Money. If the oil was going to run out by 2020, don't you think Exxon would be paying a little more attention to the alternative energy stuff that they say they're paying attention to? Don't you think they would be the first to know to be able to look at the reserves and go, yeah, we're going to run out of oil. Hey, boys, uh, we make billions of dollars a year on this stuff. We need a replacement product. Do you think that the governments of the world, the world government, and there is a world government already. It's all of our governments together. Talking about what they're going to do next. The United Nations. It is a form of world government right now. Not a conspiracy. It's already in place. And it's not hidden. You can see it. There's even TV channels where they occasionally put it on TV and you'll watch it in action. The world governments are moving into a place where they're planning to switch tax burdens to carbon taxes and to increase taxation through carbon tax. Now, if our government really thought that all the carbon-based fuel was running out, why are they betting the farm on it? Why are they... Again, you got to think about this. When the government taxes cigarettes and they say, well, it's going to reduce smoking, they know it's not going to reduce smoking. They understand that since they already plan to spend the money, that they can't reduce smoking. So they very carefully run economic models and say, how much can we do this and have the least amount of impact on actually decreasing the activity and still maximize the revenue? They're using business principles here. It's the same way you price of product. I mean, here's an economic theory for you, and then you see how this plays into to the taxation. There is a economic principle. It's not even a theory. It's proven. All right, And that is if I'm bringing out a new product, let's say I'm bringing out a car, and I say it's a high-end luxury car, great mileage, great maintenance, everything else. If I brought that car out and because of some ingenuity, I was able to price that car at $7,000. No one would buy it. everyone It wouldn't matter if, it, if you could put it on the road next to a Mercedes, and two people in it couldn't see, tell the difference. Everybody would be skeptical. They would say, hey, wait a minute. Um... That seven thousand—it can't be, because it's you know there's nothing on the road for seven thousand dollars. This thing must be a piece of junk. So there's a a price point where you stay very low volume of sales because you're too low. As you increase the price to what people mentally have in their mind as to what's reasonable, that curve of the volume of sales goes up, 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 up and then eventually it kind of plateaus and it starts to fall off the other side and then rapidly as you increase the price, it drops down and it makes this big wave with this little peak on it. If you're pricing your product perfectly if you get the economic model completely right you price it just past the peak of volume, just on the declining side on the other side that way you have a few less customers to support, so your cost of operations is lower, but your profit margin is higher. And that's what every Everybody looks for that sweet spot. Now, you don't think that our government does the same thing with taxes? You don't think when our government looks at taxing all these energy sources, they go, well, how much burden can we add to the consumer? Before we decrease their consumption, which is what we say we really want to do, but if we decrease it too much, the tax dollars don't come in, which we want, because it gives us more money and more power and lets us run more of our pork programs and more of our crap and do more pork barrel bullshit. So that's exactly what they're doing with all of these things. They're trying to figure out exactly how much they can tax every energy source out there so that you'll still use it. Now, you might use one kilowatt less a month, but you're still going to use 90% or more of what you've been using. You're just going to pay more for it, and some portion of that more goes into their pockets. That's what I think all of this is about. So what do you do? You plan for increased energy prices in the next 10 to 15 years, just like the environmental wackos and the peak oil true believers tell you. They're absolutely right about that. They may be wrong about why, but it doesn't matter to you. You look at finding ways to produce your own energy and your own electricity. One of the things that I'm going to be trying to do in the next year and a half is I want to put a full uh, solar panel system on my place up in Arkansas. And I don't know that I'll be able to provide 100% of my energy, but I want to provide as much of it as I possibly can. I'm going to make the investment. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it so everybody will look at me and go, look at him. His farts don't stink. Right? He drives a Prius and he has solar panels. He must, he must fart roses because he loves the planet so much. And A new polar bear has been born in the sky because Jack put a frickin' solar panel on his roof. No. I'm doing it because I don't want to be dependent on these systems. And I understand that the cost of the energy is going to continue to rise just like it always has. And they'll they'll, keep doling out the core inflation number and saying, oh, we don't consider energy a cost in inflation. And that'll let it run away like it always has. That they're going to continue to devalue our money. So my money's going to buy less. Therefore, the price is going to continue to go up. That's what I did. So today I've covered with you what I really think about peak oil. I guess I've sort of told you what I really think about global warming. I've been on record with that enough. You should know. I think it's crap. But here's what I want to challenge you with. If you are one of these people that are a true believer in global warming, you're not just drinking grape Kool-Aid. You've got it laid into that big vein in your arm with an IV bag, and you're running around with grape Kool-Aid on an IV bag on a stand, and it's running that that grape Kool-Aid into your arm, and you're sure Al Gore might be an idiot, but he's right about this global warming stuff. Go back. And look at what we were being told from about 1975 to 1990 about global cooling. And look at how the government was positioning things to take advantage of the perceived danger. Turn it around to today and see if it doesn't look exactly the same. But the only thing that's changed is the direction that the global temperature is going. Then add to it this. It was all about global warming for years. No one calls it global warming. Warming anymore, except the true believers on the Huffington Post and all the other crap like that out there. The scientists and the propaganda machine stopped calling it global warming a long time ago. They now refer to it as man-made climate change. That way, if the climate models shift to a large degree and we start to go through a major cooling period, they'll be able to still say, oh, the warming's coming eventually, or it's going to get colder. But either way, it's your fault, you evil producer of toxins because we now know that CO2 is a toxin. And since you exhale CO2, you're a toxin producer. We should tax you for existing. Never mind that the trees need the CO2 to survive. Never mind that the CO2 levels used to be a lot higher. And then when the CO2 levels were higher during the time of the dinosaurs and the giant insects, the oxygen levels were a lot higher. Check these things out. See if I'm making this crap up or it's real. One. Global cooling was going to kill us all in the early 1980s. Going to kill us all. Another one. No oil left by 2020. Not peak oil. No oil left in 2020 in a textbook in our school system in 1985. Three. The, during the times of the dinosaurs, the Jurassic the Jurassic periods, all of that good stuff that we heard about during you know, Jurassic Park, That during that period of time, there was a hell of a lot more CO2 in the atmosphere, the global temperature was a lot warmer, but there was a lot more oxygen, and it was a great environment, and animals and people, well, people didn't because we weren't around, but the, the life forms of the time thrived. Absolutely thrived. And insects that were too big to exist today existed simply because there was more oxygen available for them. Go check it all out. Don't just believe what I tell you, and God forbid, should you believe what Al Gore tells you. Fact check this stuff. Don't just read, and then don't read, you know, well, I fact checked it, and according to this and that and the other, you're wrong. Read both sides. Look at both sides. Verify the things that I've told you. You today. And then you'll start to understand that your real motivation is much more powerful than saving a polar bear. Your real motivation is about your own personal independence, your own personal power. And since our government won't make us independent from foreign sources of food and energy and everything else. We need to, as individuals, make ourselves independent. That's the only way you're going to avoid both sides of this. Because when the government does it for you, they're going to tax you for it and you're going to be dependent on them and they're going to regulate you they're already talking about putting in devices that say oh look at Joe Blow over on 123 Fake Street he's using too much electricity turn down his allowance they're already talking about doing that Barack Obama, ass clown that he is. And, yes, I'll call him an ass clown to to those of you that took exception with that. The ass clown uh, thinks that's a great idea. Uh, As we close today, totally different subject. I want to mention something to you that our ass clown president just did. The ass clown wanted a photo op of his aircraft, his you know, Presidential uh, Air Force One flying with New York City in the background. So they sent the president's plane with a fighter jet following it low over New York City to get the photo shot, but they didn't tell anybody they were going to do it. Mayor Bloomberg is all pissed off because everybody freaked out because they thought you know it was a 9/11 attack, it, it, you know, happening. Because you see this low-flying, great big aircraft, and you see you know one of these uh, these high-speed uh, uh, fighter jets following it. Great job, idiot. I seriously just look at that and go, this is why I don't believe in conspiracy theories. Because anybody so incompetent, To do something like this certainly isn't competent enough to pull off these global conspiracies that we think are going on. And even if they are, then you guys got to stop supporting Bush or stop supporting Obama or stop supporting the Republicans and stop supporting the Democrats. Either our government is incompetent buffoons and they're lying to us and they're all spending more and taxing more. Or they're incompetent buffoons doing the same thing, and the competent people are pulling their strings behind the the structure. So it doesn't matter what they are called, Democrat, Republican, Independent, etc. One or the other, take your pick. So let's wrap up there. My message for you today, look for your own energy independence, because nobody's going to do it for you. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't and holler It really doesn't matter Cause it all gets spent